Hi, this is Microzolio. I wasn't sure if we're supposed to do an intro, but I'm doing it anyway. Look, let's be honest. We all know this podcast isn't perfect. Adam's voice sounds like Harvey Firestein being dragged behind a truck, and Jones can spend time every now and then just looking out the window for no reason. But I digress. Zengineering is a fun podcast about interesting things, both big and small, treated with the same level of detail for each. And at the risk of sounding overly flowery here, it's kind of an inspiring show. It's basically one big love letter to curiosity. Two people who know a lot and really, really, really want to know more about everything. Discussing, debating, bringing new ideas to the table, talking to interesting people, and broadening the horizons of the audience. You finish an episode of Zengineering having learned something more about whatever topic they're talking about, but also really stoked to learn more next time. This show is what podcasting is all about. New ideas, thought-provoking episodes, and an acknowledgement that while we don't know everything there is to know, we can certainly try to learn it. Congrats on the show, guys. Can't wait to hear what the next 50 episodes are like. Hey, this is Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Welcome back for our, it's the 50th episode. Woo-hoo! We've been pushing for the Woo-hoo! last whatever and asking everyone to participate in for the last whatever. So this is, this is a different one from what we usually do. Um, it's going to be a fun one. Although I feel like it's pretty standard for radio. Like, like they, you know, <laughs> radio, they take calls. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're we're stepping up our game a little bit. That first chunk that you heard was from uh, from our friend Mike Rosolio, who let's be real, when he says that we have interesting people on the podcast, he's talking about himself. <laughs> <laughs> he is our most uh, prolific and most occurrences, our guest holding the most occurrences. That's, Three. Those aren't any of those words. None of those words are the right words. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but thank you, Mike, for the. For your, uh, for everything else you had to say. Those were amazing words, Mike. Thank you, buddy, for sharing all that. It's the, it, it, it makes me feel pretty good. I feel like that's what we've been targeting, and we're kind of. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize the curiosity component, but that seems to be what I keep hearing from people. I mean, and it uh, it does. It feels good. Right. Picture curious George, and I feel good that people are thinking of us as little monkeys. (laughs) It's it certainly describes the way that I try to explain away what my whole life was regarded as nerdiness. <laughs> oh, he's such a nerd. It's like, no, I just want to know about the thing. It's just so interesting. On a deeper level than you. <laughs> and now you're mad at me. What else? <laughs> what else is going on? Uh, so, so we're going to go through um, a bunch of the different... We asked people to send us voice messages. We asked them to send us emails, comments, rants whatever um that wonderful one from mike was more a comment than a question i think everything else we hit today is probably going to be more of a a question situation so i think it'll probably fit, feel like a like a, i don't know like a hit list episode like we used to do yeah short short little nuggets yeah a great hit list we got some amazing stuff from people but thank you to everyone that that sent stuff in yeah, and, uh, serious, serious thank you to everybody for coming along on this ride. This is sorry if your stuff didn't make it in, 
but if this goes well, we'll probably like just make this a part of the normal <laughs> show. <laughs> so we'll you know we'll make it happen. And special thanks as always to our backers on Patreon, who throw us as little as a buck an episode to make this thing happen. Uh, if you throw us that much over there, you can you will get an invite for our Slack workspace where we got a few of these question uh, files from people. It's just probably the easiest way to to take part in things like this. Yeah, and also just, I mean, it's it's incredible how much impact having people chatting with us on almost a daily basis now about what we're working on. That has so much impact on what we do, but honestly, just like when I'm hanging out with friends or family and they mention our podcast, it blows my mind. It is just so, it's so encouraging and it's so fun that this like silly little project that we started together, we're just like rambling at each other from our, our offices, uh, is, is interesting and, and it's, it's awesome. And so every time anyone says anything to me, it just means, it means the world to me. Um, I got pretty teary eyed listening to most of these, these comments uh, and they're just silly nerd questions. So the, it's awesome. The other thing though, which is a pure utility function, <laughs> when people, when we do encounter people that I know listen to the podcast, I know I can immediately skip a whole sub layer of chit chat <laughs> bullshit. And then we can just talk about one of the episode topics, all of which are rabbit holes that I'm we can, like, yes. We can skip over catching up and go right into something nerdy, basically, right? Uh, okay, so what do we got? So the first one. Uh, Borson on aliens. On aliens. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that we've got good little names on all these. Hello, this is Adam calling from Detroit, Michigan. Now look, aliens exist in the world. In the universe, it's too big. It's billions of galaxies, billions of solar systems, billions of everything. So when are we going to see life outside of this world? When is that going to happen? In our lifetime? And if so, are they going to be friendly? Are they going to be lovable? Are they going to be cute? Are they going to murder us all? Love the podcast. Keep it going, guys. Great question. Yeah, thanks. Right on, right on thanks point. For, thanks for, thanks for, I feel right on, right on, like right on brand. You want to talk about aliens? <laughs> eh, okay. Also, he doesn't want to know, do aliens exist? His first statement is, we all know aliens exist. <laughs> he wants to know when they're going to show up, what they're going to look like, and what, like, superheroes should defend us from, <laughs> from them when they... Well, I, I always like the, uh, the way aliens present themselves in the Star Trek universe, which is they just wait until humanity develops a certain level of technology and then they say, hey, there are tons of us out here. Now that you've discovered the thing you need to interact with all of us, uh, we're going to introduce ourselves so you don't screw up everything we got going on. Well, and that's part of the narrative of the whole thing, right? Like, then we take part in that. There are episodes of The Next Generation where they're like, should we stop this civil war that will kill right. millions of people? But they don't seem to know that we're out here yet, <laughs> so we're not really allowed to. <laughs> so, like, but, but right, so... They could already be just chilling out like, hey, they seem to be catching up. Maybe that, maybe we'll get to talk to these ones. <laughs> I, t I mean, I personally tend to think that it's absurd. If there, if there are no aliens out there, it just means that we're missing something obvious about our universe. And like, there's something, it's just a whole different existence than we think we're in right now if there are no aliens. So... I just assume that they're everywhere and they're just, it's just that situation. They know we're here. They're watching us. We're just like a little colony of uncontacted uh, species, like and people think, living in the Congo in 
right. in old villages, right? And I think the what I'm able to observe in the world, both scientifically and spiritually, leads me to believe that you don't get to that level of advancement, like ex like willfully, consciously exploring the planet. Because I'm not talking about viruses that hitch a ride on a on a on a comet. Borson wants to know if we can hang out with them. Would be life, right? <laughs> yeah, like he wants your bro alien. Your, you know, can your, I get an alien on my your podcast? Bumping strange mismatched fists, <laughs> but like. It, 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 to be, you have to, you have to, the level of cooperation required to reach that level of exploration, leaving your star system, it's such a feat that requires the harnessing of so much energy and resource that you just all have to cooperate in order to pull it off. And if you understand that level of cooperation, you're either not conscious and just consuming the world, which is terrifying, or you're it's the Star Trek situation of like, they're already out there waiting and just like, Hey, maybe these guys will grow up until we can interact with them. Nope. Yeah. Didn't happen there. That's too bad. <laughs> well, there's also then kind of the more abstract <laughs> view of this, which is, uh, we have only found life one place on earth. So because of that, it's all made, it all exists one way, it's made of the same stuff, it all works on DNA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's unreasonable for us to imagine things being made out of other stuff. And so there could be life all over the place that we just don't know about because it's something completely different. There's a, there's a really interesting article I read a while ago in a neat online magazine called Aeon or Eon, it's A... A-E-O-N magazine, something like that. And in the uh, show notes. It, uh, uh, I don't remember exactly what the conclusion was, but it was written by an astrobiologist, I think, and he was talking, the, the headline of the article was, what if our fundamental rules of physics are actually an alien intelligence? And it kind of flipped the idea of like, it was just, it was such a strange shift of like, is, is the act of something else living and existing in our universe the thing that like may the thing that we live inside of right like are we are we like neurons inside of an alien's brain it, it's the men in black like christmas ball right cascading thing, right? metaverse of marbles and so whatever i mean it sure just seems like everything every every few years now right we uncover bizarre new things and for the last hundreds of years we've we've traveled so deep into fantasy land with our science that uh, it could, anything's going on. There'll definitely be cuddly aliens. There'll definitely be some horrific aliens. So the answer too. is, <laughs> Adam will get to bro down with an alien. Hell yeah. We're if they turn to out it. to be hostile, who do you want defending you? Well, first of all, if we... Because there's Will Smith. You could have... <laughs> has Kevin Bacon ever defended us from the aliens? Well, I do want Pullman. <laughs> oh, Bill Pullman's a great one. I mean, Tommy got... Lee Jones. I like Tommy Lee Jones is the sort of just tired, grizzled. I'm too old for this shit. Man. Who yeah. like he'll 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 mess him up if he has to, but generally he's going to be there and kind of like he knows it's not worth it in the long run. <laughs> um, I will say that if we had to choose a representative, that I'd be fine with Borson being the representative. <laughs> so good question, and I hope that you get an alien on your podcast uh, very soon. Uh, what is up, what do we got? What what's up next? Uh, oh, this is a good this is a good one to segue into. Uh, our friend and listener Kristen sent in a email 
about our Star Trek v. Star Wars episode. Okay, <clears throat> that's, a, that's a segue, son. <laughs> <laughs> I will now orate it. Is that, is, that how you, is that something you can say? Just read it. <laughs> <clears throat> hey guys, so excited to geek out listening to your Star Wars v. Star Trek discussions. And then, uh, you both admit to not having watched any of the Star Trek original series. How can you debate the merits without having watched the originals? What would it be like only watching Star Wars episodes 1, 2, and 3 before the discussion? You just wouldn't do it. I implore you to spend some time watching a few episodes of the original series. I will loan you my full disc set, or they are available to stream. No excuses, dudes. I thoroughly enjoy laughing along with you guys, and I learn a lot from listening. Live long and prosper. Kristen, San Diego. <laughs> Good. It's my good. first impulse, though, <laughs> is to quote the like drop from that. Every time someone says live long and prosper, I think of that story again of the person that countered my Star Wars shirt <laughs> as I was walking across the street by getting in my face and going, live long and prosper, bitch, <laughs> with the like Spock hand. You what, know the emoji for wait, that is called Spock that? hand? I just, I was wearing a Star Wars t-shirt and I crossed the dude in a crosswalk. Like, I like that energy. It's nice that, the, it's nice that the saying crosses into like any mode of being. <laughs> You know that emoji is called Spock hand? Spock hand. Yeah, it's like colon, Spock <laughs> dash hand, colon, whatever the Unicode thing for the... Perfect name for it. Vulcan uh, hand doesn't have the same sound. Thank you for the message. Uh, it's good encouragement. And for, and, and for keeping us on, on our... This, see, this is the thing. This is the thing I run into frequently, which is the, the extent of my nerd cred past a point. Like, in order to do the stuff that Mike talks about in his note in terms of being interested in so many things, I can only go so deep <laughs> on certain things. I'm not making excuses. Also, my recollection is we just said we haven't watched the original series much. I've certainly watched all of them at least twice, personally. You've seen every episode of the original series twice? Yeah, there's not that many. You're it's like not an too hard. <laughs> I've seen a couple episodes, like pieces, and I probably watched some with my brother so when I was So this email's little. more for you, then. This is definitely directed to <laughs> me. Because, I mean, it's tough. I, my goal, a long time, years ago, my goal for the year was to watch every piece of Star, War, Star Trek media. And, oh, man. As we covered in that episode. It That's was a lot. exhausting. I was watching, like, two, three episodes a day. <laughs> It was overload, but I did, I, I admit, I never, I didn't, in that period, when I think I watched a little bit from every single series, uh, I didn't go into the original, so it's true, I need to, it's I need fair to, to point out, I think, that for people in our age demographic, that's research. Like, the next generation, <laughs> I watched as it was happening. Every Star Trek series, other than that, I watched as yeah, it was happening, true. and so it's, like, anchored in my life in a certain way. To catch up on the original series... It's it's like going to grad school and having to review the old things. It's also like many, happening in your life. It's, it's like research. many decades behind where I usually draw the line on like when a movie's remade that I'll watch it, which is really yeah. shitty of me. So it's old. <laughs> but if it's like pre-98, uh. <laughs> I question it. But she also related it to Star Wars episodes 1, 2, and 3. Which I think is a funny thing because there's an age gap on that too. <laughs> there's a whole generation of kids that think fondly of Jar Jar Banks because it was a cute, funny character to them at the right age. The way I think I feel about Ewoks, like I feel like the Ewoks are broadly laughed at as a device. I could definitely These see them silly, being the dumbest bumbling character. They do the same things. They like fall out like, of an ATAT -AT and yeah, accidentally kill bad guy with a... jokes. But I'm at an age where I'm not mad about it. 
<laughs> you know? You were at an age where you weren't mad about it. I'm still... I'm still at it. I'm still not mad about I'm it. I'm still a little frustrated by Jar Jar Binks. Although I understand. There are no Ewoks, like, walking into the UN to discuss foreign policy, whereas Jar Jar Binks, like, immediately <laughs> is a diplomat. So <laughs> there's some lines to be drawn. Yeah, that's fair. His whole arc is equally goofy. And I hate the way he walks. I'm just, I don't use that word very often, but he walks in this way that just makes me want to punch him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fair thing to say that I think you would feel differently about Star Wars if you hadn't, if that was the, were the only, if those were the only three yeah. that you'd experienced. But as a counter to that, I might say, I know all of the characters from the, I've watched the shit out of the original series movies. Because partially those were happening during the same years. Like the next yes, generation was on TV and in movies, which had a completely different social context before the internet, were I'm I intimately, saw all of those in the theater. I'm intimately familiar with two, three, f- uh, two, three, and six. <laughs> take, I can take or leave. Five. The you probably know five pretty well. Too. Five's five's okay. Five's the one where they like go and find the end. But of the, the one where they go to get whales from like. Whales is great. Grace that was so good. San Francisco. <laughs> That's four. Is that four? That's four. Yeah. Four. Four, yeah. Four is great. Journey home. Every time, every time someone uses Siri, every time, every time in my presence, I think of the scene where Scotty picks up the mouse and of like an early Apple II. And he, computer. <laughs> Hello, computer. And he's like, he's trying to show off, so he's got like really good posture in the scene. Computer? Hello, computer. They're like, you got to use the keyboard, bro. And then in slow pack up to like super rapid type pace right great scene great scene um anyway awesome awesome comment Kristen. i will commit to maybe watching some of the original series soon and i will continue to apologize <laughs> to uh nerds that i disappoint when i can't go as deep as they want to go in the one thing that they're <laughs> so passionate about <laughs> Sorry, man, I don't know, like, episode numbers or characters past of, you know, tertiary importance. Huge. I'm hugely disappointed <laughs> in my co-host right now. We will step it up. Thanks, Kristen. Okay, what's up? What uh, we got next? Okay. Mark on product design. Hey, this is Mark. I'm longtime friends with Brian and Adam. We've known each other for a combined 50-plus years, which makes us sound much older than we really are, but... Wanted to say congratulations to you guys on your 50th episode. I'm a longtime listener of the pod and really enjoy it. Wanted to get your take on the similarities and differences between product management and product development and the cycles that happen there with traditional research methods uh, within the sphere of social sciences, particularly things like psychology, economics, and sociology. I'm new to the tech space but come from a social science background and couldn't help but notice that there's a lot of similarities between the two, particularly when it comes to the use of data whether the data is valid and reliable or whether it's not, and how that can contribute to the effectiveness or the efficacy of the research, if it's social science, or of the product management and the iteration cycle and the development and the success thereof for the company if it's in the tech space. The reason I'm asking is because I'm just wondering if there's anything to be gained or leveraged by comparing the two and using processes within each industry to help the other. Thanks in advance and congrats again. Pretty serious question. Yeah, that was intense. That's a real. That's a real. But we got to put our business hats on for this one. Yeah, that's like a startup. <laughs> that's a startup question, but I dig it. So it. So you, Brian, correct me if I didn't hear this right. <laughs> we only listened to it like three times. 
Uh, it sounds like a question of in product design and product management, you're able to make data-based decisions uh, way more frequently by like A-B testing things because of stuff we talked about in our optimization episodes, right? If you have a million users of an app, you can just try different configurations by running a thing where 50% of people get one version, 50% of people get the other version, and then you can make decisions based on that. Let's try the button here and let's also try the button here and we'll see which one actually converts. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the rise of <clears throat> data analysis and statistics applied to business, which has been happening for decades now. Uh, but recently, with the rise of like internet commerce, uh, you can run those statistical analyses. You can do studies and experiments with your products at a level that has just absolutely never been available before. I mean, now you have websites that are updating their interfaces daily because of information they're getting back from users interacting with the site. And so they know what's more helpful for a user, how do they find things easier, and ultimately, like, how do, how do we optimize our profits? How do we make more money? Which, uh, again, is, it's everywhere now, right? Manufacturing... Right. Uh, product sales, websites, software, video games, movies. I mean, marketing, people, marketing has been adapting this for a long time and everything's hyper, uh, there's hyper optimization trying to be applied to everything. Um, I like Mark's question because he kind of, uh, he referenced like, I think the comparison between business implementation of this and maybe like a more classical academic implementation of it. Uh, and I do think there's a big difference because... Well, I think the, what's always, what I've always enjoyed about media production and then how that flowed into my doing product design type work, startup stuff, like it, you're, what you're talking about is the place where the fact that you can apply that kind of data analysis and tracking and you can run studies inevitably bumps into the squishy space we always talk about in the podcast. Mm -hmm. Like my interest in that and why I'm doing the podcast are the same thing, which is they both land in this space where you, you, you gotta, that product, if it's going to serve any sort of purpose for a person has to interface with that person. Right. There has to be this meat space transition where it's like, and here's how I make it useful for you. And some of that is putting buttons in the right place. And sometimes it's things that like, as a designer, I know are atrocious aesthetically. But big red buttons are really good at getting people's attention. Well, it's the equivalent of the grocery store when you're checking out and there's candy and like National Enquirer there, right? right. It's, it's the same kind of thing being applied at a less, gran less granular capability, right? Just over 20 years, we discovered grocery stores should be set up that way. Now in a month, you can figure out how your website should be built. And so it makes almost every one of those conversations sort of philosophical for me insofar as, okay... Here's an aesthetic trade-off we can make, but it might get people to sign up for your product. And so the designer in their mock-up goes, oh, fuck, that's ugly. <laughs> but you got to say, yeah, but, you know, it really works. There's so a lot of that in making business. Making a satisfying product <laughs> is this balance board between, like, okay, as an option, but a really ugly one, we're going to have a... a, a aggressive pop-up that blocks the whole <laughs> fucking site at a time when we know you're probably about a paragraph into reading whatever's on the site if you're that invested <laughs> but it works well it's so in on one hand if you want pop-ups to go away 
Stop clicking on them. <laughs> it's an also, in- when our pop-up shows up, you should give us your email so we can send you our newsletter. <laughs> we don't have a pop-up on our website. Yeah, deliberately. Because the software we use doesn't offer pop-ups. <laughs> or else we damn sure would have a pop-up. I was going to try to pretend like, because we respect the, you, the listener. <laughs> yeah, we respect your emails on our email list. Uh, I think there's an interesting difference to Mark's question about kind of comparing business, business data analysis to like academic research. Uh, and it's a question of uh, goals, right? Because with business, there most certainly are businesses that are optimizing all kinds of things for people's benefit. There are all kinds of uh, businesses that are doing things to help people, right? But there's definitely a interesting difference between analysis like this, data capture and decision making based on uh, statistics like this. There's a big difference between business and, and academia, and it's, it's a matter of What's your goal? And with business, there's definitely businesses that are optimizing things that are really good for you too. But generally, I think primarily uh, a big part of the optimization, optimization, the goal is profit, is earnings, is how do we convert more customers? How do we get more customers? How do we get a little more money out? Uh, and academia, it's a whole different approach. Academia is not worried necessarily. I mean, certainly academics argue differently sometimes, but academia is not as much worried or they're not supposed to be as much worried with uh, that as they are with figuring something out. Um, and so I think sometimes in business, the figuring out gets preempted by the, hey, <laughs> how do we make more money off of this? Uh, which then changes where you end up, can drastically influence the findings. Um, and, but definitely in both cases, they, they both really suffer from the same biases from the person running tests. Because in both cases, you're trying to get somewhere and when humans want to get somewhere, they do what they can to get themselves there. So uh, there's definitely a lot of flawed data everywhere, a lot of, lot of flawed conclusions. Um, and that's not necessarily always bias either. They're flawed. It's really, really hard to gather data and come to good conclusions uh, to make decisions and do it in a way that actually matters. It's so much more difficult than I think people think when they just picture like optimizing something on a website. Um, well, the, yeah, so the, the other answer on the other side of that is because it, 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 the soft, the unsatisfying soft science answer is a product design optimization. It's like you can do it to a point, but then past that, it's like it's, it's a super massive statistic problem where you're like within this range of error. Yeah, this seems to work better below that. Or like, within this range of error, this works. You should do it. But then in there, it's like, we don't know what the gray area is of exactly how everyone behaves and how everyone feels, and you can only manipulate it to a point. Yeah, and then it's, it's also, it's important to note that you can, it's, it's very hard to optimize for something that's not incredibly clearly defined. So that's really easy on, uh, the internet is a great example because there's some really simple things like getting someone to sign up for an email. You know when someone's on a page that they're about to sign up for and you know if they entered their email. You know what keystrokes they're entering as they're, maybe they put half of their email in and then go away. And so you know these really specific details, but when you start to talk about optimizing other things, like for instance the fitness app, FitBod, guys who are guests on our site or on our podcast recently, um, their app is optimizing for the complexities of human biology which 
is so much more difficult to optimize right. for because the range of things that matter there are endless. Whereas click-through rates on a website um, is like a meaningless detail other than how do I increase my profit or my conversion rate. So um, it's different. It's much, more, it's much more challenging as soon as you get away from like simple economic optimizations in software. But thank you for the question. Woo! That felt like the kind of explanation after which I'm like, I have no, I want to apologize. <laughs> Did I answer your question? I feel like I just rambled. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what I just said. I blacked out. But thank you, Mark, for the question. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for listening and interacting with us all the time. Mark's in our Slack channel and chats with us all the time. And it's awesome. What do we uh, got next? Okay. Uh, we have psych one. Emily on psychology. Here we go. Hey guys, happy 50th. Woo woo. This is Emily, Adam's wife. Um, I would like to hear you guys talk a bit about psychology, actually. I uh, was a psych major in college and I always found that it was a really interesting blend of, you know, science and philosophy and spirituality. And it seems to have been really important to humans and it has been for hundreds of years um, as we've studied it and it's helped us to understand ourselves better. Um, I've, you know, we've heard you guys talk a lot about engineering and computers and computer science and really concrete things. And then on the other side, you talk a lot about philosophy and spirituality. Um, and I would be curious to hear where you guys think psych falls on a spectrum of science and spirituality, especially, you know, considering all of the technolo technological advances that we've had and what you think it will look like in the future. Um, and yeah, that's my question. Congrats again, guys. Bye. That was my wife. Did she say that in there? Uh, I, can't I think so. Yeah. Um, that was that was Adam's wife. Thank you for the question. Despite what we generally spend our time talking about, we're both married. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like you know. I want to say thank Is that you sexist? for. It's not sexist. It's nerdist. <laughs> it assumes that nerds don't have don't have wives. My wife's cool too. <laughs> anyway, thank you for the question, but also thank you for putting up with the existence of the podcast. Um, you know, we both, we, we thank our supporters all the time for uh, the money and the general support. And we talk about how, you know, particularly with the Patreon supporters, we, we don't have to put out money anymore to make the podcast, which is nice. But we do still have to put out time, and that's kind of not just our time anymore because we're married. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's, I don't want to be like, hey, thanks for letting me do this. But it does mean sometimes on Saturdays, I'm like, yeah, it's an investment uh, from our I'm gonna families. Not be, I'm not going to be busy. I'm going to be busy for four hours. And I could see, I think, why someone would go, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but I get none of that. You get nothing but support, so thank you for that. Oh, um, psychology. Do you remember the question? Yeah, this is a perfect one on the back of. What would you say psychology encompasses? I was going to say, why do you think psychology is shit on? But I think they end up being the same answer, <laughs> which is, it psychology is the effort to apply the scientific method of like study and observation and whatever the scientific method of inquiry to a space that is forever infinitely nuanced. Uh, yeah. You know, brain function and emotions and human it's, interactions. It's applying and, the scientific method 
which is like a new invention of humanity, a new layering of uh, our ability to un- to pursue and understand things, layering it on top of the most complicated thing we've ever discovered in the universe, which is our own brains. Our own brains. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. It's very hard to be absolute about something. Yeah. So it so inevitably means, though, that like I feel like we sometimes probably do this, but like if we're talking about a study in the context of, oh, this study showed this about happiness. I think for us, there's always a little edge of, but that's a psych study, which is not meant to be a reflection of like not taking it seriously. It's more, you have to understand that within that field of study, it's a little more like philosophy than it is like, well, it's a it's very a more like philosophy than physics is like philosophy. Well, it's, it's very psychology is at the top of the stack of sciences when you start with kind of foundational understanding. How instantly complex it is. Physics, physics, <laughs> uh, and when I say top of the stack, I, I picture the sciences kind of stacked on top of each other because something like mathematics uh, is, is, the, is the core, it's the root. It's like the absolute defined, this is truth, at least in the, the general context of our reality. Physics then is kind of like, here's our reality, math applied to it and then you kind of get chemistry where it's like well these physical properties cause these things we've discovered to do this and then biology and and psychology is like way at the top it's where our thoughts and feelings and reactions coming from on top of your brain on top of your biology on top of your chemistry on top of your physics on top of your mathematics and whoo it's a it's a it's it is entire it's the whole spectrum it's the whole spectrum of of spirituality and science all the way all the way through from from religion all the way up to the most cutting edge physics you can imagine. It's, it's everything. Um, and we're trying to apply it to like help poor people who are suffering from PTSD. It's so complicated. Well, and, <laughs> and what the massive statistics. And so like if you talk about what a psych study looks like, it's really hard to deal with because they have to take place over long periods of time. And, and, and it's hard to, it has until the last seven years seven years been really hard to aggregate a whole shit ton of people to get really like to get statistical significance there like psych studies for a really long time read like a 20-year study of 1500 people and at that level of complexity yeah they're clearing a bar for statistical significance what we would consider statistical significance but they still have no fucking idea what's going on because it's just not enough people and the the bigger issue as you move up that stack of science too is the complexity of isolating what you're trying to study when you're talking about psychology you just you just can't isolate stuff you right. can't make the I person's take... brain stop doing other things so you can analyze the specific thing so uh it's like all science which is an important topic that we start to touch on and i think we're going to get way deep into in our next 50 episodes but all science it's important that we talk about the fact that it's it's movable it's malleable it's changing everything we ever decided was science up until until something new is discovered has been proven wrong and that's that's part of it that's, that's the point not, that that's doesn't how it works. mean it doesn't work it's, <laughs> right it's a feature not a bug like the fact of oh that turned out to be wrong is a thing in science that like you should be proud of how long you were right for. <laughs> right. And then what's neat is it, it... But then even happier once it gets wiped it away. It guides in the right direction, ultimately. I'm sure there are, there are things that if, 
if I had studied psychology recently, that I'd be like, well, this was believed for a long time and it's absolutely not right anymore. But then there's also a lot of stuff that was like, hey, that was on the right path and we're headed in the right way. And the neat thing about moving from sort of the wet space and the, the non-absolute space of spirituality uh, <coughs> over into what we've created, this technological science world um, of kind of trying to define absoluteness is uh, you, it iterates until it kind of finds the truth. And that's, that's what's neat about, that's what's neat about the technology of the scientific method. Well, that's what's neat about the technology that makes it overlap with the previous question from Mark, which is the stuff he's asking about also dwells in that same space of it. It, it has to interface with human yeah. complexity. And so when you're talking about product design, you're talking about questions of, we want people to go to the gym and we want them to feel like they can use our app. And the, like, there's, you should listen to that episode. There's a pl pace, place where we run down the challenges of designing a, an app to be used in a gym. And it's just, you got to sit there and go, okay, what are people thinking at the gym? And that just becomes a psychology <laughs> question. The only extent to which you can chase that with data is as much hunch as it is data backed. Yeah. Um, which makes it a really cool space that's, it, and, and then those, what it's essentially like, you're going to run a psych study. Let's see if big red buttons really make a difference. And then I'm going to actually have 10 million people take part in that study. And then you're like, okay, well, we have this data point that means this thing. And it's kind of more concrete than any, any data point we've ever had before about red buttons. But also we don't really know what it's going to, you know, that's to a certain end for conversion to email addresses. Do we want, is that an important end? It's probably not going to go away. So do you, what do you make laws to outlaw red buttons? Cause they're too persuasive. I just, I don't know. It's like, they all end up in this space of like, oh, okay. the red button's blowing my mind. Uh -huh. But thank you for that, for that psychology. Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, extent. I think Emily, uh, at least from that question, seems like she does the same thing Suze does. Uh, my wife uh, does a really good job of uh, making sure that we are at least attempting to stay true to our podcast name. <laughs> uh, and, and just reminding me when I'm off on a tangent, just enthralled by the scientific method and engineering and uh, they're like, hey, man, don't forget that you're like a human being on Earth and you got to take time to appreciate your biology and your physical wet experience here. Uh, so thank you, Emily, for a great question uh, that encourages us to use our minds, to think about our minds and how we use our minds to analyze our minds. And, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Squish. <laughs> uh, okay. Next question. Uh, Ian on nanotech and life expectancy. Hey, engineers. I would like to know your thoughts on nanotechnology and radical life extension. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop. Thank you, Ian, for uh, for a brief question. <laughs> I was expecting I like, like five to ten second questions. Yeah. Uh, um. Not that I don't appreciate the depth out of everyone else. I appreciate the effort everyone's put in. But as the producer of this joint, I'm also watching the clock <laughs> every episode. Uh, interesting question, because I don't think we've ever really talked. I mean, I'm sure we've touched on it, but really like talked about nanotech um, 
or life expectancy. And both of those are uh, pretty good potential topics for the next 50 episodes. Man, that's a, that's a big one. That really starts to push into some deeper questions around the topics of our podcast. Uh, I think there's a, uh, it's a really interesting time where we're going from kind of conceptually the idea of these little machines that we're going to build. We're going to miniaturize little spaceships like the magic bus. Uh, the magic school bus, right? That's so. That, that's way better than what I was thinking. Uh, like inner space. Not a Patrick Swayze movie. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The whole idea. I mean, there have been a bunch of these uh, cute, neat stories of like going inside the body in a tiny machine and flying around, and and we do that. We have small machines that go in and do things. We have unimaginably tiny physical mechanical devices they're in our smartphones it's part of what's pioneering this industry but um we've also pushed into a whole new space where we understand the uh, molecular function of our biology and we're starting to adapt things that happen inside our bodies and inside of uh, plants and animals and viruses and bacteria uh, to repurpose these like biological chemical devices uh we're definitely do doing a full us. episode on CRISPR sometime yeah, in the next Yeah, I really want to do. My thought when you think about all that stuff is to ask you how familiar you are, how familiar you are with the process of soap making. Soap making? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I know almost nothing about soap making. Also, I, I also know almost nothing. <laughs> but the extent of what I know is that you take animal like this is what's in fight club where they're stealing the bags of human that's all i know make soap out of it yeah Yeah. you steal like but the reason that that works is because you take fat like from an animal and you boil it so that it decomposes and like it by decompose i don't mean like it dissolves into the dirt like you're probably imagining it comes apart into two substances and you scoop the stuff off the top i think it's called tallow and then that stuff you use to make like wax and soap and things like that. But the reason that it works is it's essentially just a sticky molecule. Like they accidentally found a way out of boiling fat to create a molecule that sticks to soap, sticks to bacteria, sticks to whatever. For like millennia, we probably made And then soap, lets you right? wash it away because it also very conveniently gets all fluffy when it does that. <laughs> and then you can wash it away and that stuff <laughs> leaves your body. Right? Um... So would you call that a nanobot? Because the reason it works is chemistry. That's absolutely. It's a little bar of nanomachines that we accidentally discovered before we had any idea what it was. We realized that this little bar of goopy stuff uh, will attach to all these things. It's a little bar of nanomachine garbage collectors, right? And incidentally... Those garbage collectors are really good at extending our life. (laughs) Soap is really good for radical life extension. Right, I mean... Really radical. Like, think of factors of... People went from living for 20 years to living 80 years. Well, the the elimination of... Largely because of soap. Disease transmission. (laughs) Right. Uh, I mean, the doctor who... uh, The doctor who notoriously is known as, like, the person who started washing his hands at the hospital because this bar of soap, whatever it was made of, whatever we thought it was made of at the time, 
was making some other invisible thing go away that was causing people to die from black magic, right? So it's an, it's one of those neat examples we of... Have things we still do named after guys who figured out how to make it so milk didn't kill you sometimes. <laughs> the dude's name is Pasteur, and the process is called pasteurization. It's <laughs> we neat. still say it. It's on every fucking milk carton. It's neat how, <laughs> how much uh, technology... You can also pasteurize anything, by the way, it, not just milk. Milk is where uh, we see it, but you can boil anything until it's sanitary. <laughs> is pasteurization just boiling? I think so, yeah. <laughs> just hitting stuff at the temperature that breaks down. It breaks down. Living stuff living in it. Living stuff in it. The, uh, it's interesting how many technologies the human species or the universe, our planet, life on our planet, has discovered and created without really knowing what they were or knowing anything about how they worked. And soap is such a neat example I've never thought of. Uh, absolutely, it's a bar of, it's little, it's little molecules, it's little molecular devices. It's essentially a bar of grease. It's boiled out of fat. <laughs> but Which this is, grease is particularly handy because it bubbles up when you, when you attach other things to it. <laughs> and then it rinses away in a river. So, and then they discovered borax by mistake as an additive for soap because there were just certain rivers it worked better in. <laughs> <laughs> what is borax? Uh, it's I don't understand. This is where I start to get lost in soap production. <laughs> they found out their clothes were cleaner if they washed them in certain spots, and eventually we trace that back to the molecule that causes it, and you can mine it out of the earth. Is borax like what's in like oxy detergent and stuff? Yeah, oxyclean. Same same principles of figuring out ways that we can make molecules cool. stick to dirt more effectively. <laughs> well, the second part of that question was. Life extension. Life extension. Which sure seems to be what that trend chases, whether we do it by mistake or do it deliberately after we assess why the mistake worked. Like, it... it well, there's... It's interesting because I, I feel like you could make the argument that life expect, the increase in life expectancy has really been driven by our actual goal, which is to decrease pain and suffering. And in doing so, we've accidentally increased our life expectancy. Because people will be like, I want to live forever and stuff. But in reality, in day to day, it's like, man, this thing hurts. Like, we just went to the gym this morning before we did this. And we went because, like, my back hurts and your knees hurt. And, like, we're just trying to maintain my day to day existence with a little less pain. Uh, but the side effect of all of that is, uh, and these technologies applied to that to, to eliminate heart disease and fight diabetes and get rid of of these horrible viruses like polio uh this the crazy side effect is this radical extension of our life expectancy of the number of years that our body our biology continues to reproduce itself and sustain itself and allow our consciousness whatever right, so the hell that is the meat vehicle for your consciousness seems to seems to be <laughs> lasting longer and it sure seems to be like what our awareness guns toward increasing but you're right day to day like so part of the question this is like the thing that came up in a recent episode with pat it, like it also what's the point if you we have certain choices it seems like we've made in the name of persistence that make it really miserable to be alive and so what's any life if you <laughs> 
this is almost gets us to like the Zen question of all this kind of stuff, which is like, what is any life that you spend the entirety of afraid of dying? Right? Like it, 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 right. You know, and what, what life you sort you of spend? do, it's sort of inbuilt to behave that way. It's an interesting question. Uh, and then the opposite is a life that's only an hour long, but you're blissfully happy the whole time. And then, I mean, that really is a more of a philosophical conversation than I want to explore it happening this is in an life. This question anyway. <laughs> uh, it seems to me that the question of life expectancy has kind of changed in recent times, which speaks to the pace of technological development. Where well, because we also are building this thing we talk about in like the AI episode where we seem to be trying to replicate certain human functions in the name of persistence. Mm-hmm. So it sure seems like that idea of persist is hardwired into everything. And technology seems to kind of have a mind of its own insofar as it pushes toward those things. Like I, I frequently am just saying, what are you going to do? Okay, you don't like Facebook? Well, what are you going to do? Because look at it. It's not going to go. It's not going away. So at the same time that you're talking about that piece where it's sort of like, well, what does any of this mean anyway? Technology seems to be gunning for this singularity situation, which is a rabbit hole. We don't really have time to go down. <laughs> it's also a rabbit hole that forces everything to kind of be separated and analyzed individually. And in this particular case, uh, the obvious components are your consciousness and your body, mind and body. Um, and so when we look at longer lifespans and potentially what seems like potential for living forever, uh, are we going to persist either or both of those? Will they be connected anymore? Um, there's a neat book that I think you might enjoy reading, Ian, that a friend suggested to me called Altered Carbon that's about a sci-fi books set like, I don't know, a couple hundred years in the future, um, in that reality's future. And the idea is just that our consciousness, we've, we've figured out how to upload it to a computer system, uh, but we're all still hanging out in bodies because that's kind of what our consciousness was designed for. Uh, but you're not stuck in your body anymore. And so you can live forever, but you cycle through bodies that decay and wear out. Uh, and there are people who own really expensive custom designer built bodies and there are people who are stuck in decaying horrible morbid bodies that are sick and, and dead and old and it's a really interesting take on the uh... <laughs> now I feel like the question I'm trying to, to dodge is a, is, is a conversation of re- reincarnation that we don't have time for <laughs> There's, this, one's, this one but goes, thank you this one goes a lot of places yeah Thank you for participating in a wonderful adventure, Ian. Uh, all right, next one is uh, Susanna on Zengineering. Hey, Zengineering. Happy 50th episode. Question for you guys. How does one be Zen and an engineer? Because to me, they seem like opposing ways of going about things. On the one hand, you have sitting with what is, And then on the other hand, you have using everything at your disposal to create a novel solution to the problem at hand. And furthermore, how can Zengineering help carry us through this human family here on Earth? How can Zengineering carry us through some of the dilemmas we're facing on the planet? So thank you for enlightening me. Love you guys, especially you, TPJ. 
Aww. Well, that was my wife. Very lovely question. She recorded a video and blew me a kiss at the end. Oh, she sent a video. <laughs> uh, man, that's a really, that's a good set of questions. That's, that's, uh, that's what we're trying to figure out. I think when we started our podcast, we discovered, we came up with the names engineering. Because it, it sounds cool. It just sounded awesome. <laughs> and then we discovered no one else had it on the internet which was also equally mind-blowing, uh, and we jumped on it, not knowing that I think it's actually extremely appropriately applied to kind of what we want to be doing, where we feel compelled to be engaging in conversation. Uh, I, think we're, I think we've definitely made a pretty good transition from just like talking about computers and electronics and stuff into really, really uh, pushing pushing our conversations into spaces that we don't talk about as much. Um, I just think the space that interests both of us in the end, although we come to it from an end sort of an engineering perspective is the fact that like at, at some over time, there are two, I feel like schools of thought that have sort of opposed one another. That is sort of, uh, answers for things that have persisted for a long time and largely based on parable or you have soft science stuff that for a long time was categorized over there. Cause like psychology used to be the spirits in your brain. We have to let them out with a, with a mallet and a chisel. Like that is still in the lineage of that science mm-hmm. that catches us up to today's psychology. Right. But like, it, it and so in that space you end up with this this divide that you still see on the internet if you jump from one blog to another blog to another is like it, it the spiritual realm and the scientific the result of scientific inquiry have sort of been historically in opposition i think mm-hmm. because they threatened power structures at the time that they existed. They were answers the church didn't like, and the church was largely how we kept shit from all falling apart in terms of a cooperative society. Mm-hmm. And so you still sort of have that opposition, but we're running into this place where the engineering is starting to get to this place where it relates to the Ian's question about nanomachines. We're starting to build a thing that science would call a machine and a person would call a puddle. Because it's just a goo and you put it in your body and then it does the thing and then is excreted. And it starts to feel increasingly like magic, which is where you start to need these spiritual answers because it's more like, I think philosophy, I I tend to think of philosophy as the most pure form of that line of inquiry because it's kind of scientific insofar as it's like question everything, know that there never will be a right answer. Because the practice is just trying out, talking about it. But like I think, I think this engineering piece is realizing that you can chase data, you can read every study, you can buy the best technology, you can whatever. There's still this place where it's not going to feel like you have answers, and you never, you probably never will. So you start having to get into that sit with what is space because what is is there will always be not an answer to something you wish you had an answer for. (laughs) 
That's yeah, a, there's that's life. That's existence. That's consciousness as we know it for the time that it exists and then goes away for each of us. There, the Zen piece for me, there's there's the there's sort of the like uh, topic component of the Zen on our podcast, right? Like we want to talk about philosophy and spirituality, and we want to talk about uh, technology and science and engineering. Um, but then there's also kind of like, what is the, what am I doing uh, in the pursuit of producing this podcast with you that is the Zen component, that is the science component? And it's very hard to mix those two. And I don't think when the name Zen and engineering combined uh, is not to mean specifically just Zen and just engineering. Uh, it's the broader philosophy and the broader of sciences. Um, but the Zen component is exactly what you were just saying. It's coming to uh, it's coming to a piece with all of the fantastic things that we get to experience in the world, especially today, especially living in uh, 2017 when we have so many technologies that not only are, are complete magic for someone living even 10, 20 years ago, uh, but they're also, they're magic, they're magic that we control. They're magic that we fully uh, understand to the extent that we can make things like cell phones that give us the power of telepathy. I can send images and video to you around the other side of the planet or out onto our space stations that are floating in orbit around our planet. And What's a planet? Networks <laughs> where people you don't know can do that all day in case you just want to browse through the cat pictures. And so the Zen, <laughs> the Zen piece, though, is where the extension of all these things go. And it's to the point of all the big questions we ask with them, which start with littler things like, well, should we be at our phone as much as we are? Should we use Facebook as much and let it be as invasive? What do we do with our health? What do we do with... Uh, the question of religion and our mortality and all of these things are getting tangled up in each other these days and I think for me the Zen component is figuring out how I can be at peace with all of them existing together uh, and where I've gotten so far and I'm far from being somewhere where I'm like on stable ground but where I've gotten so far is the concept of uh, a very Buddhist concept, I think, kind of the idea of everything is one, one is everything. Uh, and religion and philosophy, uh, traditional religion and philosophy and traditional beliefs, beliefs, for instance, that we're uh, removing demons from someone's mind to help cure uh, psychotic episodes. Maybe we have a clearer understanding of what that is now. And But there's there was a transition from previous forms of thought to a new technology, the idea of the scientific method that's layered on top of these things. and But it's all the same thing. Science isn't here to tell us what absolute reality is. All it does is expose more places to ask more questions. Back when we thought the universe was made of earth, wind, fire, and water, uh, we only had four things to go investigate. Now we know the world is made out of 200 different elements and hold up, those elements are made up of all these other little things inside, and those things are made of... And it's like, whoa. But we still largely so have the questions. same questions. <laughs> we still have a lot of the same layering. The broader human. philosophical questions, what is it the like? human questions, are still the same questions. Why are we here? 
<laughs> so what's one thing you can do every day to practice Zengineering? Uh, I think the... That's the second part of the question. I think what I'm, what I'm excited about sharing and what I try really hard to do on our podcast and in, in life without going to the point that I piss off everyone around me all the time is I try to question everything. I try to look up as much information as I can about all different types of anything where I'm discussing. I want to know as many perspectives as possible. And I'm certainly, I've certainly fall victim to bubbles. Our whole podcast is a fucking bubble um, of two idiots who believe the same stuff yelling at each other. But um, trying to get as much perspective on everything as possible, the scientific perspective, the historical perspective, the spiritual perspective, my friends, my family, my business partners, four different doctors, right? Seven different talking heads on TV, six different news stations. Like you have to expose yourself to these other things because ultimately this all comes down to being a human being. And I have, assuming you all actually exist, (laughs) I'm just one of billions. So my opinions are meaningless outside the context of all of yours. Uh, And so... I think if you had to boil that that down into a daily practice, it would be try to actually read something, 500 words or so, that really makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, read something that like (laughs) conceptually pisses you off. That's probably the best stuff you could read. Like we've been sending each other podcasts that you're like, just wait until three minutes in. (laughs) And I'm like, oh fuck, I want to stop listening to this. It's so ridiculous. But... It, it's a valid perspective because these it, it's not I'm, like we're not sending bad production quality things back and forth like it's not a laughable we, we, podcast we shared i shared a it's, podcast with you the other day um it's a podcast produced by uh, a religious group i, I don't remember it was the specific group or denomination or whatever but um it's a physics podcast a physics science podcast and they had uh, a physicist on it who works at a university and the podcast was uh, the first like six minutes of it, I was I was enthralled by it. It was great. Uh, really, I can't fact check everything. I'm not a physicist, but the science was very sound. It was talking about the planets, and I was following through, and I was enjoying it. And then it would just drop some things that were like face palms for me right. uh, about mostly being 400 efforts, years old. Yeah, like mostly efforts to wedge it all, suddenly, but the, into a space where we're like, ah, uh, that that answer is in conflict with the scientific answer over here that seems to be the consensus held well the zen the zen piece there is that that i want to explode at the absurdity of someone claiming that like mars is 400 years old and then claiming that science is proving that but at the same time that person has may spent their whole life educating themselves on these things and i I truly believe that I'm I'm meant to respect that person and appreciate their opinions and perspective and and love them. And it's hard. It's Which is really funny because those to. are very Christian virtues. <laughs> right, because there's good in everything. Right. Um and and that is what's that right now is the hardest thing that we can possibly do. And that is the most important thing to do in the world right now is to love the people that you feel like you hate. Because they are a product of the world that they grew up in. They're a product of what was around them and the other people. And if we don't love them, they're not going to love us. And we need that or else we're all going to fucking blow up. (laughs) My answer for what you can do 
one thing a day is, is, is why the podcast exists, even though it's not something that makes either of us money. It, just make something. Make stuff. Yeah. Like, that I have to be able to keep doing the podcast on the weekends and maybe with a little week time time is a thing that I think is just assumed by my coworkers because it existed before them and it'll probably exist after them. And it, it's, it, it's, but it's a product of, of just go, just make something doodle on a, on a post-it note or, and this is one of the, this is my consistent defense of social media, which is it's a medium where kids are like, when you watch two people set up the perfect selfie, <laughs> sure, there's a voice that goes, oh, God, <laughs> so unnecessary. But at least they're making something, which means they're thinking about the world and how you can manipulate the world and how to think about the world in a, in, a, in a way that... And how they perceive themselves and how other people perceive them. Is, is a, a lot way of complexity that, in a selfie. Like, art is essentially digging into creating those things. But just making anything is digging into creating those things. But it's also not easy. Like you have to sort of have it be a practice where it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a thing. And so for us, it's easy because we have a release schedule for a podcast. Mm. But like, it, there are other places to fit it in. And I think that's one of the spaces where you know, like nerddom takes hold for sure and why it's been so uh, like profligate. <laughs> is that a word? It's a great word. Uh, I don't know if it means anything. <laughs> is because caring about something on a deeper level than just like, and the way you get there, like it's why cosplay is such a big part of sort of like, com like Comic-Con culture and stuff, because going in so deep that you know exactly where every little bolt is on the dude's replica gun. It's, that comes from attempting to, attempting to make a gun for yourself that looks exactly like the one from the movie. So I feel like that that maker behavior is how you can learn the stuff that we get to from engineering, but it doesn't have to be by going to a whole shitload of school or understanding physics or any of that kind of stuff. It's like, try to actually get better at drawing. Just make drawings every day. Be as creative as possible. And, and what'll happen is you'll start getting bored, and so you'll start doing something different with the drawing <laughs> just to fucking amuse yourself. And yeah. then you just got better at drawing. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's the same way with podcasts, and now I think we try to improve this thing ongoing, both for ourselves and for the, the output. Well, I hope that we share... Also recycle. <laughs> well, that's a whole different... We've got some, we've got some global warming and... Climate science episodes coming up. In yeah, the I'm trying to sure. bait you. Into <laughs> <laughs> so we don't uh, have time for that. I can talk for but days. But thank now. you. That's a good. Great question. I hope that we uh, continue to share uh, that message and enable people uh, to share uh, share in that way with and other people. And when we fail, that's why we have corrections episodes. Although we haven't done one of those in a while, Alan. Alan. <laughs> Alan. Alan. Should we just talk directly to people that we know listen to it? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Publicly uh, shame him. Okay. Next one. We're having a child and not having quite enough time to be on our stupid podcast. Yeah. Get your fucking priorities, dude. Okay. Now we have Colin on UBI. Universal basic income, right? Colin on universal basic income. 
Hey, what's up guys? It's Colin in Baltimore, Maryland. I want to know, what do you all think the downsides of a universal basic income uh, in this country would be? The downsides. Assuming we all think that they are positive uh, and that we need a universal basic income, what are some of the drawbacks or potential pitfalls or unforeseen consequences of a universal basic income? First thing I want to point out is he uses a, a rhetorical device that Adam also used in his question, which is part of a philosophical discussion that I think is sometimes lost in modern discourse. He, he's forcing us for our answer, <laughs> answers to assume a proposition. The assumption is everyone agrees that universal basic income is a good thing. Everyone that listens to our podcast certainly does. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. it's probably not true. And that's I don't mean true. to express an opinion Anymore. with this, but the idea is at the beginning of that, when Borson says... Adam. When Adam says... Adam Borson? Adam Borson. He, he won't care. He calls himself the, Bo the B -B Borson. Congratulations on winning uh, Price is Right recently, yeah. by the way. Oh, Unbelievable. And also totally appropriate. Totally, uh, totally expected. If I had to pick amongst my friends the person who should win Price is Right... Please pick from this lineup the not person who you believe who's won Price is Right. Because I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you just flat out don't think that aliens exist. And Borson says, we all know aliens exist. <laughs> you have to start from that. Assume as a, as, a, as, a, as a given that aliens exist. Now, what do you do if X, Y, and Z? So like a lot of philosophy discussions are assuming God exists. Now let's have a conversation. And if someone goes, God doesn't exist. Like, okay, then I can't even talk to you Dude, here. that was the question. Because you violated, you violated the, you know, this sort of presupposition by which we can have a hypothetical conversation about what if this exists, right? Well, it's a, it's a good way to phrase a question in a way that... So what's the argument? So in a world where everybody's like, yeah, everybody should get some money. What's the argument against everybody getting some money? Well, this is a tough question because uh, the concept of UBI is uh, incredibly complicated. Um, it's a remarkable... It's, it's impact. really, like... Go all the way with it. Universal. Not even as it applies in the United States right. as a way to whatever, like universal healthcare, right? Like straight up, everyone in the world global gets a check to pay for the stuff to keep them from dying. And ideally to help them for further whatever the world needs to have happen at the time. So that's the, a paradigm shift from what we do now. It's so complicated it's so difficult to conceptualize what will happen with any shifts like that in our economic system and so the idea of giving just giving a, an income of some sort giving some amount of money to every person on earth equally all the time uh to cover whatever you want to decide we want to cover right whether it's just health care if it's food it's housing it's a car uh so why is that a bad idea uh, it's a bad idea because the obvious bad idea. <laughs> I would love to get a check every month. The money has things. to come from somewhere, uh, which immediately dives us into uh, depths of economics that I'm not equipped to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although, prompted by uh, Colin wanting us to talk about UBI for a long time, we're diving into that. Sorry to all the economists <laughs> listening who were getting ready to. Thrash us. <laughs> for, They're the bet the the for a lack of understanding about systems of debt. 
<laughs> at, at like the philosophical human level, the, the paradigm shift that happens with UBI that scares people is, well, where does your motivation come from? What is anyone going to do anymore? And Right. My answer was going to be, it's going to turn everybody into a piece of shit. <laughs> everyone's going to sit on their couch and play video games all day. that's the angry perspective um, from someone who's like, I'm comfortable what I, and I did the stuff the way that I did it. If I was just given a check, like part of the problem that's caught up in that, I think, is this idea that like, I think a lot of people have this idea of here's this thing that if I didn't have to do all the time, I would just be happy. And the problem is that barometer just resets. It's not a barometer. Yeah. It's just a fucking river that flows by. And it's like, this makes me uncomfortable. Oh, I fixed that. Oh, hey, this thing makes me uncomfortable. I fixed that. Oh, hey, this thing makes me uncomfortable. I fixed that. And it just, it's like... Rich people are just as miserable as people yeah. that have, down to a certain point, their amount of income. Their worst things, and certainly it's also difficult because you're always looking at other people from your own perspective. And so it seems like it seems like having a crappy old black and white TV is a huge hindrance on that person's life for me because I have a 45-inch color flat screen. But, like, probably doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> That person's going to fill their time with something else if they're not watching TV. But it's basically like there's some line and, and there's sort of an argument about where it is that is, okay, the first bar is here's all the stuff that has to happen so you don't die, right? And you can't marginalize the fact that for a lot of the globe, that's still the question. Yeah, I mean, outside of just America, and there are certainly people who are suffering at that level in right. the United States, but there are billions of people who die from not having food, from not having clean water, who die literally laying out in the sun all day because they're too sick to move. And I don't mean to make light of that, right? That's a bar. And one of the things about UBI is if we could get over that bar somehow, that sure seems like that'd be nice for the world. But then past that, there's sort of this gradient of like, will it make me happier? Will it make me more comfortable? Will it make me live longer? All these other things you can sort of stack into the equation of what does life cost? And versus like the sort of value proposition behind that money, I guess. And there's some point where, yeah, like we were talking about it in the context of 4K TVs the other day. If you're sitting around going, man, this picture looks like shit. Okay, get yourself a 4K TV. But if you have one that's 1080p, you're certainly at a threshold now where, unless you really care about a subset of really specific things, the entertainment experience, the thing that people are looking for when they flick on a TV at night before they go to bed, is covered. 90%, not a problem, and super accessible, right? Like, even if it's just watching on a TV, you can get a TV on your phone for free if you sign away your life to a wireless contract. <laughs> And take, on, <laughs> and take on debt via credit card, right? Like, it's fully accessible as a thing. And then there's a question of, okay, well, what, it, does it still make you happier? And then all of that shit and how you acquire it and how much does that have to do with happiness is all tied up in the UBI conversation, which is what makes it so complex. But I think my, my feeling of the primary argument against it, though, is, like, people aren't thinking about it that carefully. And they tend to feel like, if I was suddenly given a giant chunk of money, would I become, 
would I take a break from all the things that have been bothering me? <laughs> and yeah, you would. But after a while, that break is like, eh. I mean, yeah, there's some people that move to an island and they stay there for the rest of their life. But like, most people would find projects or things to care about, like talk radio. <laughs> well, the problem, <laughs> the potential problem, and I think this is a, I think this is a very valid one. We don't, we don't know what would happen if uh, all of a sudden people. There are countries had trying income. it, right? And there are, com- there, are, there are countries, there are municipalities, there are organizations, there are a lot of people investigating UBI right now, um, and it's not invest. I think some people probably hear UBI particularly critics, and they, they think, you're just going to give them the salary that I live on? It's like, no. <laughs> Whatever you're probably living on, if you're like having an intellectual debate about UBI, you're probably living on a salary that's absurd to most of the planet to begin with. Uh, and then beyond that, that's not what initial push of UBI is looking at. It's looking at covering basic existence so that you can have sh- shelter and food and water. Uh, but even if you take it to the extreme of everyone gets a $100,000 American salary, uh, we don't really know what's going to happen. There's never been anything like that. We've ha- we have all kinds there of been, socialistic... To be fair, there have been numerous large-scale experiments about how to maybe pull that off in what seems like the most egalitarian way at the time. But you call those revolutions and they sound really scary. Because <laughs> this rotation has only ever happened in a way where we can go, well, that's a data point about how that turned out. Well, it's so many times through history. <laughs> it is It is very interesting. Usually a lot of people die. <laughs> it's interesting to look at places where those experiments have gone on. Um, because at least on some level, there are people who wanted that to happen to make things fair. There's a, there's a big part of our brain that's devoted, big part of the human brain that's devoted to measuring a situation justice. and making sure it's things are fair. Justice. It better be fair. <laughs> and you can, there, there are tests of, you, there, I've seen a lot of tests online. Jean-Claude Van Damme is devoted a, to justice. <laughs> there, it's, it's, a, it's a really important, primitive uh, uh, response that our brain has to unfairness. And it seems unfair that, like, I've worked all my life to make this salary, and you're just going to give it to this other person. That person, if I, if you just gave me my salary, I'm not going to do my job. I'm going to fucking quit and go dick around all day, which uh, we don't know. Maybe everyone will. I don't know. But the the and that's that is the that's the big downside is I don't know how you really figure that stuff out um, other than kind of start to perform tests. But when you're talking about a universal global adjustment to an economic system that has put us where we are today uh there's no real way to figure out what's going to happen um but to to go off question a little bit uh people are getting fucked right now like fucked really badly and other people are doing the fucking and shit needs to change uh and this is one of a lot of different ways to look at that a way we can slowly phase in some shifts and some changes and to be honest the concept of UBI has been in use since the beginning of time, since the beginning of monetary practice. There is absolutely nothing. There, there, is social, there are socialistic programs every single place you look. There is water flowing out of your tap. There are street lights on the street. There's pavement that you get to drive on. Uh, so it's ridiculous to pretend like UBI isn't already being implemented in a whole bunch of ways. Um, Universal health care is already implemented. We have a law that makes it so no hospital can turn you away, which means they just got to treat you and take on debt. 
We already have universal health care. We just don't pay for it. We just screw you afterwards for accidentally getting hit by a car. Right. Anyway, I think the answer is we have a lot of questions for economists and doctors. <laughs> if you'd like to be a guest on Zen Engineering Podcast, drop us an email at hello at Podcast. Or if you just want to talk about UBI and you're an economist uh, or... A person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you have a lot you. of experience. Thank you for the question. I hope the rabbit hole is Yay. decipherable. Thanks for asking a super politicized question. <laughs> No, it's a good exercise to avoid our our inclination to make the conversation political. Well, I think we do an ex- exceptional job of not letting people know what we think. <laughs> There's no editorializing going on. It's a fucking bubble. That's a great one. <laughs> uh, okay, what do we have here? We've done. Cam? We've done that. Yeah, we're we've only got a couple left. Cam on religion. Oh, this is going to be great for rabbit holes. The name's a little more broad. Sorry, our episode is two hours long this week. (laughs) Hey, guys. This is Cam Fortin, loyal listener. Um, Really been enjoying your conversation, especially when I'm driving somewhere to go fish here in Idaho. um, I've been struggling with something. You guys are very smart and, I think, similarly curious and scientifically minded, you know, I don't believe in formal religions. I don't really believe in a God, at least one that thinks about us or cares what happens. And that makes it a little difficult for me to uh, have a belief system that, you know, to live my life by and to think about how to um, think about interacting with people and why anything matters and what the future should hold and, you know, how I should be spending my time. So the best I've come up with is you know, everything will end in entropy and will be flat. And we know that's going to happen, which is kind of weird, but we've got, you know, billions of years, so that's good. And all we can really do is try to create structure, positive structure, um, whether that is relationships or scientific discoveries um, or societies, civilizations. And I think eventually that really means we have to go um, populate the solar system and, and beyond because we will be, you know, we're going to get taken out by an asteroid at some point and then that means there's no, no structure here anymore. But anyway, how do you guys think about that problem of if there is no God, how do you live your life in a positive, meaningful way? Thanks, guys. I love his, his mention that there would certainly be no structure left here if an asteroid obliterated the planet. <laughs> yeah, economies are the last thing on your mind when your planet explodes. <laughs> but what about the UBI? What about how much debt Alderaan is in? How many months are left on my, my cell phone bill? But I owe the Empire so much money. <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, I... I feel like this is a classic argument that you hear... In the context of religious pe- people who are devoutly religious or, yeah. you know, who, who have found answers for themselves in religion, they don't understand, they, they don't, they, they say, right, but how do you know, how do you know, how do you have any morals without following this sort of structure for how morals should be thought of in order to you know, move through life. Like it's a, it's a, 
he's asking it from a scientific standpoint, which is like, if it's all meaningless anyway, because we all just dissolve into dust, then where's the meaning? The meaning is like squishy things in the middle. But it's kind of that same, same question that, the, that, that, you know, atheists ask the exact same question. They just come up with answers that, that, aren't, that aren't based on just I mean, what they were, you know, like... I think that the answer to this question for me has only gotten more and more clear as I've gotten older. And the answer is simply that I feel really good sometimes, and other times I don't feel good. So I'm going to kind of work towards feeling good and fulfilled and happy and useful and functional. And if that's happening... Who gives a shit what else is going on? I don't care if there's God. I don't care if the universe is going to end in, in heat, death. Like, I've never understood why there needs to be something external to me that provides meaning other than just what is in front of me at that moment. Uh, and, and if you look at a lot of teachings, I mean, not any particular religion, uh, some more, more aggressively than others, uh, teach that, like... Just hang out right now and just enjoy yourself and just uh, be in the moment, experience your life, uh, be a good person, which is totally relative. Don't fuck up anyone else's effort to do the same thing. Right. The, the, <laughs> it all boils down for me to the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's the answer and that's all you need. That solves everything. I don't want to get punched in the face, so don't fucking punch other people in the face. I worked really hard to buy this stupid statue of an elephant that I like, so don't steal it from my house because I'm not going to steal your stupid Sasquatch statue. You know, it's like... I wish I had a Sasquatch <laughs> statue. <laughs> and someone else does too, and they probably want it, and they can't afford a Sasquatch statue. Um, the, uh. I, Cam's question really... Uh, I really connect with it because... Um, uh, that is his conclusions are the the current like pop science conclusions of these are the potential things that could happen and this seems to be what's going on and uh, I think part of the part of what I want to believe maybe it ends up being true what the hell is truth but blah 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 uh, is that we just will never know everything as as deeply as we go in the universe and in life there's just always gonna be questions we can't answer there's always gonna be stuff we don't understand and whether the concept of a god or a thing or a culture or another civilization that created us, controls us, thinks about us, takes care of us, uh, it's, it's all of that and it's none of that. Everything is everything. Say what you might about Richard, Richard, Richard Dawkins. Richard Douchebag Dawkins? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's good at articulating the coexistence of this idea that we don't know and it's beautiful and the scientific method. Um, and part of the problem is back to what we were talking about before, which is this idea that a framework based on stories about how to be happy in your life and a framework based on science can't coexist. He's pretty good at talking about how they can. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, the, the, it's a disservice to have the presupposition right. that because you don't have the, someone else has a different structure from you, that they are uh, like godless, essentially. It's kind of like that, what I was just talking about with the rhetorical thing, right? Like if you're saying, if you're gonna say, well, how do you guide your thing, you know, your decisions in the world? And I say, 
well, I have a podcast where I talk to this other person about it at length, <laughs> and then we interact with our community, and we sort of try to come up with what we think are good reasons for moral behavior based in a, a, a mental model for the world. <laughs> You've just described a religion, right? Yeah. But, like, but ours isn't sort of based on things that science makes sound uh, antiquated. But, like, uh, those things end up being tribal, and then you defend your ideology against other people, sometimes at the detriment of the idea of inquiry. So, like, this, does that... Uh, this, <laughs> right? Absolutely. You're right, on, you're right on the path there. I think this goes back to Suze's question a little bit about what is the Zen in engineering, and what is the Zen in your life? And I've never understood why a lack of answers means that you need to be depressed. Like the lack of not knowing where I came from or what I'm supposed to do here or whether or not there's like a dude telling me, like guiding my life. Uh, why am I depressed if, if that's not there? Why am I depressed if like I know that when I die, I disappear or, or I believe that when I die, I disappear. Like I don't understand why that needs to be depressing. It's just a reframing of the situation. That's just how it is. That's, that's the Zen. Let's all own. Like I'm going to die. And, right. And then, if, and then the things that we, I mean... On some philosophical level, all of this is just bullshit stories, right? Like right. the chemistry of the planet, I'm going to recycle my molecules and new plants will live on in millions of years, blah, blah, blah. That's all kind of bullshit too, right? Planets floating around, what the hell is a stupid solar system? I mean, what does it matter to you? You're never going to touch one of them. <laughs> right, I'm stuck. I'm stuck here in my little apartment. <laughs> and, um, so I think there's a really important component to... Uh, to this, to spirituality and to how you view your life that is just, you just need to pick to be excited and happy. And it's really hard. It's really hard to be that way all the time. And sometimes it's stupid to be that way. And sometimes you should absolutely pick to be really depressed and really sad. You should indulge those things. And on some level, um, on some level of like, I won't necessarily live my life this way, but I feel like our goal is to kind of just experience everything you can. And I think we've had philosophical conversations before about uh, murder and the idea of like, I'm not going to murder someone in my life. And that's an experience I won't get to have. It's the complete opposite of how we're supposed to live our lives. But it's just part, it's something that some people experience. We've deemed it horrendous. I've grown up thinking it's bad. It seems to me like that's a bad thing to do. But that's something extraordinarily impactful that will never be part of my existence in as this universe. As far as either side is convert, concerned at the time, a whole lot of murders happen in a war, right? So the other funny thing in all of our like political discourse and how we talk about this thing and think about this stuff is we're not even yet one generation away from a place where a lot of people had murdered a lot of people and that was an experience that they cared, carried with them in their life. Yeah. Whether you have a flag behind you and you feel justified at the time, you still killed a person. It's and it's which is a fucked up thing to have experienced. That's a, that's a really extreme it, example because right? it's kind of like it's sort of like I chose it because it's like the antithesis of yeah, but this is philosophy, the antithesis man. of life. But it applies to all. I, I want to make you uncomfortable. It, it applies to the, <laughs> the, the idea that even you should <laughs> want to feel fulfilled all the time. You shouldn't. You should kind of want to feel fulfilled half of your life and unfulfilled the other half. You want to feel happy half your life and unhappy the other half. It's, it's a range of experience in the time period that you're here. 
And we know that if you are happy for a year, you're going to adjust to that happiness. And you're going to have to do something different to be happy again. So it's all about balancing this stuff out. And so I guess the answer, though, is, is it's not try to find a construct that fits Cam's you know, variable designations or whatever, right? Like I need this and this and this in my explanation. It has to fit these, you know, whatever. There just isn't one. It's not there isn't one, but the answer is just keep searching for it forever. It's whatever you want it to be. And whatever feels like it makes you happy, yeah, cool, go with that. But also if it hurts somebody else, then everyone else might tell you we're not so cool with your happiness in the face of all these people die. This, this came up in a conversation yesterday. I don't remember if it was us talking about this episode or whatever, but um, the idea of kind of, at least this is true for me, in any given moment, whether we're talking about something really big and dramatic in my life or some really simple thing, I kind of I always know if I'm like doing the right thing. There's some level of me, and maybe my morals are different than yours, and I'll do some things that I think are the right thing that you don't think are the right thing, and that's not what I mean. But if, I, if I'm just always kind of true to myself, I'm, I'm always content. I always feel, feel like I'm on the right path, and I'm doing the thing that something inside of me is kind of guiding me to do. And whenever I'm not doing it, I'm stressed, and I'm anxious, and I'm worried, and, and there's something about following that inner guiding light, and it's there no matter what the externality is. Maybe if you were born in a box and locked away from humanity for your entire life, there would be nothing going on in your head, and then you'd need some instructions slipped in a little slot for you to read. But that's just not where we live. We live with an endless amount of, of input. And I'm in the river, I'm in my boat, and it's like, ah, I feel like I should be going that way. And if I go that way, I know I didn't go the way I thought I should, which sounds very circular. Um, but it... it it brings some sort of peace and it brings some sort of calm and it's kind of the idea of just riding the river of life and I think the idea of mindfulness is just about if you're aware of that you can let go of some anxiety around feeling like you need to find a construct because even if you find one you're dealing with a like a not fix so it's like trying to grab water which is a very buddhist image i feel like like, oh, I'm just get a handful of this water here. Well, oh, 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 it's your it, foundation underneath it. Life is not, uh, it's not bedrock, you know, like <laughs> you're just, you're kind of squishing through this slime that you can't get a hold <laughs> in forever. That's Slip it. it sliding. There's also just as much as I love and appreciate and see the function in all of the knowledge that we've accumulated as a species and the, the power that like, deep philosophical thought combined with, with science and engineering and our technology, all that, all that that's provided to me, on some level, I also just refuse to let go of some of the stuff that makes life seem special. Uh, I, I've, I'm pretty sure my consciousness and my educated brain or whatever is pretty sure that when I die, my molecules just kind of fall apart and a tree eats them and turns into a bigger tree. Uh, but... There's also something really weird and cool about being a human hanging out in this amazing place. And I don't want to let go of the magic of that. And so I just, I don't need to like slap a label on what that is exactly. I think it's part of the fun of that mystery is uh, there, maybe they're ghosts. Maybe there's a ghost here and it's the spirit of a person that died here. That's, that's fun. It's like, I'm <laughs> giddy right now just thinking of the idea of it. And I don't really, be- I don't know if I, I don't believe it. 
whatever belief but means in the system. Seems but to creep out people. It feels out. right. It feels like they're ghosts sometimes. It feels like I have a soul and a spirit. Um, but it doesn't need to be scientifically defined because it doesn't exist inside the scope of science. I can't. We haven't figured out a way to test if there's a soul based on the concept that like a soul goes to heaven because we can't go to heaven to test it. So it just gets to float in its own space of if you want to feel that way about something, you absolutely can. I can't tell you there isn't a soul. You can't tell me there is a soul. We can't test it. And that's where that line is between the two things. Cool. Last one. This last one's easy. And then we get burritos. Word. Hey, Brian and Adam. This is James and Annie Truesdale congratulating you on your 50th episode. And we're calling from San Diego, California. And we were wondering two questions. The first one is, what is your favorite Zengineering episode that you've done so far? And second, with a two-year-old, we were wondering what kind of jobs there are going to be in, available to him in the future. Thanks, and congratulations again. Thank you. Uh, no, this is a good one. It's a good one to end on, too, because we can do... It's a fun one to end on. we can do our favorite episodes. <laughs> Let's put off our favorite episodes. Okay, we'll answer in reverse order. Uh, this is also our most, uh, I think, atmospheric call. I think I can hear, like, the ocean in the background. <laughs> <laughs> That's delightful. San Diego is a wonderful place. Um, so the question about what jobs will look like? What jobs will be there? What they'll look like? I think realistically in the time period we're looking at for a kid that's two right now, it, roughly the same jobs we have now. <laughs> There's going to be a much larger capacity to monetize things that we currently think of as hobbies. Yeah. And there's going to be weird ways to let people do things that we think used to be only for lawyers or something like that and make money off of it. But largely, like you're still going to need... The way I always say this, and this has to do with some of my, what I chase with my investing stuff that I do and, and, and my fascination with the blockchain space is there are, there are like the things that are relevant and that are getting changed by technology right now all exists right at the place where humans interface with that technology and humans interface with other humans right? Like that's what's happening with social media too. And so doctors are humans fixing humans' bodies. Lawyers are maintaining the system of humans fighting with one another peacefully. Like those two professions, never going to go away. The financial prospects for being one of those might change and ways to contribute to the fact that we're still going to need both of those things to happen probably don't change. There's always going to be police unless they're replaced by enforcement robots. But I don't think people will feel very good about enforcement robots, so there's always still gonna be that. Yeah, on the, the realistic answer, for the short period of time, we're talking 15, 18, 20 years, uh, is it'll kinda look the same. You're, you're easy, it's an easier path for you as a, as a person right now, probably, if you go and study something technical, if you go programming, some particular types of engineering, some particular types of science, some particular types of mathematics. Um, those jobs are in, some of them are in higher demand, but even those spaces, stuff is changing so fast. Like if universal basic income is a giant smash hit and solves everyone's problems, <laughs> what does a job even look like? Huh? On a, I, on a, I wanna chase it further maybe to, uh, his his kids yeah the the answer 
I think for all of it moving forward though, which is why I think people revere Silicon Valley right now, because it's a place where a lot of people think this way, which is just work on the stuff that seems cool at the time, but keep questioning everything, keep learning. And I just, I think fostering that curiosity of like, oh, you're into that, let's explore that is the most valuable thing my parents and my experience with education did for me. I think the curiosity component is what's of most value. The curiosity, which leads to the, the desire and the pursuit of knowledge, and then the ability to go consume something and understand it and then apply Synthesize it. Synthesize new stuff. Which is really, really science, useful. Right. And I think if I was going to. But it apply, took me 25 years of practicing that before I, f I feel like I have some sort of job stability <laughs> if i was gonna apply well everyone feels that way though right so <laughs> yeah that's but... that's the other answer no one's satisfied <laughs> no one <laughs> no one feels job security so i think if i was gonna apply a philosophy to uh raising a child right now i think the philosophy would be all of that creativity and all the message of to find something that you enjoy that that fulfills you uh but then i think it's also in increasingly important right now to instill in your child the value of doing something that's good uh, for the world because we spent a lot of time over the last 65 years doing things that uh, were good for some people uh, and I don't mean that critically it's it's the systems that were some populations uh, some populations have benefited others haven't and we need to survive in we need to survive to the if we want to survive so that you can have grandkids uh everyone needs to be working on things that are good for everybody uh and that's that's the, that's the most important message and i don't mean that in some silly like just be nice to people way like if you're not if your job's not benefiting our world and our society and our planet uh, you're just, you're contributing to destroying us right you now. You can think of it as a proximity <laughs> equation. The Earth is a closed system, other than the extent to which we sometimes go to the moon. <laughs> and bring back moon rocks. And bring back moon rocks. <laughs> the, the Earth is a closed system, and we're coming up on too many people in that system. So never mind what that means for all sort of like like resource consumption. Just imagine if more people moved into your house, <laughs> right? Like that's all you have to get your head around is like, there's not space. We're running out of, you're just going to have to be closer to the people around you. So you might as well do things that we think of as good right now, which is be friends with the people around you. Find a job that contributes to the happiness of people that aren't just you. Even if it's just so the other person that lives in your house is happier too. That's not meant to be any sort of indictment of my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, that got a little dark. <laughs> uh. Maybe don't share all the details of that until a little later in life. But uh, what's your favorite episode? Last question. What is my favorite episode? I go two places. Maybe you can help me pick. I go either to episodes that absolutely bring me endless joy. I listen to it. I'm giddy. I'm happy. I'm excited. As a listener. As a listener, my favorite episode is... Probably Planets One. Uh, Star Trek v Star Wars. Uh, 
They sort of cover the they're same kind of thing. the same thing. I'll give you the same <laughs> thing because they're both about exploration. Uh, they're super sciencey. They're super nerdy. They talk about like future prospects of like where we're going, the edge of engineering uh, science, and but it's it's really the applied science engineering side which really hits home with me. Sending satellites and robots to planets and drilling into them and studying these rocks and trying to figure out what's going on on these things that are just so absurd. It's so absurd that we're on a big thing that's rotating around another big thing that's flying through space that's rotating around another big thing. It's so silly and weird. And we have, <laughs> we have the, what are the mobiles over kids. I see right. mobiles of the solar system all the time around my friends' kids. And uh, it's just so amazing and, and wonderful. And that was the planets. Planets probably wins. Planets is my favorite. Um, and uh, and I just it just makes me happy to think about that stuff and talk about it. I think my <laughs> favorite episode. Well, I have two different. Uh, as a producer, uh, episode three or four. Whenever we did the quantum computers episode, which is my, it was the worst edit ever. That thing took me hours and hours <laughs> to edit together, and the stuff that you guys will never hear is largely us like. Fighting because I was trying to get Brian to explain what I knew he knew about how computers worked, but that he didn't like study in school, so he felt like he couldn't talk about. And that was a big hurdle, I think, for both of us in terms of getting over. I'm more comfortable with it because I've weighed into philosophical conversations all the time. But like that part where you're sort of flying without a net, at least as far as academia would tell you, it's a hard hump to get over. Uh, but that was the episode episode where we did it. But I cut it together, and you were like, "Man, we sound smart." As soon as I was like, you... yeah, because we know a bunch of shit. We just have to cut out the part where we're inclined to go. Eh, but here's the thing that I want to say that undermines everything that I just said. That has to do with either credentialism or a lack of understanding on my part. Like, well, the... which you have to mow through if you're going to have upper level philosophical conversations. The, uh, like, the more I know about something, the harder it is for me to talk about it publicly. Right. Um, the uh, the piece that you brought out there that has just defined the podcast. It's been really important. Was when you said to me, "This podcast is not about the information. Uh, we share a lot of information. We share a lot of facts. I love facts." Uh, I spent all I day like, like looking up stupid <laughs> facts on the computer, but it, you said it's not about that. It's about the conversation. Uh, I want my facts to be right. If we had a fact checker, I'd try to make sure we're sharing information that's like currently believed to be correct. But, but fact uh, checkers are expensive. <laughs> they're expensive. <laughs> uh, that's like our level four Patreon donation. Uh, and that's just not what's important. And, and that, I really believe that now. I don't know if I would have believed it when we started this, but the actual information is not important. It really is not. It, it, what, what is meaningful to me, what's come out of this podcast that's meant a lot, and like the mission I feel like we're on is to share a way for humans to interact with each other and to in, in, instill enthusiasm and share excitement and share ideas and, and lift each other up. Uh, and we just happen to do it well in this space of science and technology. <laughs> it's where I naturally have this energy. Um, but as we branch off into topics and conversations that are totally off of that, uh, that's what's important. That's what the world needs right now, I think, is more people lifting each other up. And my favorite episode to listen to is episode 30 and 30.5. 
it's a two hour. It's it, we got to freely have a two hour conversation with someone also interested who also thinks this way about possibly the single most pretentious thing <laughs> that I think about in any given day or any given conversation. The number of times that I want to shout Latin phrases at people, just what would seem to uh, them to be non sequitur in conversations makes me feel like a real douche. Yeah, constantly. Just hearing you talking about it makes me feel that way. Uh, like, people say a thing and I want to go, post hoc ergo proctor hoc. <laughs> Here's the logical fallacy that has brought your ship <laughs> to the, that has dashed your ship upon the rocks. <laughs> I think it's very enlightened of us to recognize that you can't say that to people and that we have to relegate it to two episodes of our podcast with our buddy who studied them explicitly uh, in college. So. so if nothing, thank you to all of our <laughs> listeners who helped out with today's episode and who supported us all along with this nonsense. So that I can occasionally have a two-hour slot <laughs> to talk about all the shit that goes on in my head that I don't say to you when you're standing in front of me. Uh, and also, if because a lot of it's rude. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you sent stuff in and it didn't make it into our episode, uh, please realize that's a reflection on our inability to generate a compelling storyline around your question. Uh, and we really, really appreciate it. And and we really love all you guys and girls and kids and parents and friends. And thank you for being along on this ride. Uh, we're really, really stoked to do another 50 episodes. And thank you, as always, to our backers on Patreon, who who really are, are a part of this whole thing and talk to us about this shit in Slack, which, you know, it's... it's Having external perspectives when we're trying to piece together what the story is around a question, it's, it's helpful to have other people that are already interested in talking about it, even though it's going to start as some dumbass thing that probably never makes it to air because it's like, what would it, what if the sky was actually pink? <laughs> and then you're like, well, you'd be on Mars. And I'm like, eh, never mind that one. <laughs> anyway. Thank you to everyone who's been involved to this point. And uh, to anyone that's just coming by for the first time, check us out at engineeringpodcast.com for all the details and posts that we put up and stuff like that. And uh, rate and review us on iTunes is honestly the biggest thing that anyone else can do to help us out. All the other places that you can listen to podcasts mostly uh, pull their data from their ranking algorithm. Thanks for hanging out. I'm Adam. Uh, I'm Brian. Just keep riding that stuff, people. Next stuff. They don't know what I know. <laughs> they don't cool. Know.